From Relay FM, this is Upgrade episode 208. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile, Inboard Technology, and Eero. It is the summer of fun. My name is Mike Hurley. And that echo you hear in the background is actually background. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason hello, Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. Hello. And we're back here on Upgrade. It's good to be back. The As we say every week, the summer of fun whilst continuing, I can, I can see the sun setting on the summer of fun. I know. It's a beautiful summer sunset, isn't it, Mike? But it is going down, down, down. and This may be it. This may be it. For all we this know, may be it. Yeah, see, you're, we're on Summer of Fun watch right now because <laughs> <laughs> any week could be the end, but you're not yeah. going to know. Yeah, yeah, because what's going to happen is Apple's going to announce that they're doing an event. And the, pre- the week previous to that, we will do our draft. And the draft is not really part of the Summer of Fun. It's part of the fall of product releases. So probably either this episode or the lo- or next week's episode will be the last in the extended Summer of Fun. It's only it's only fitting that this is uh, as we move from August into September. The summer is ending. My kids are back mm-hmm. in school now. Mm-hmm. It's just well, here we are. Is uh, all good things must come to an end, even the summer of fun. And whilst I know that literally everybody does care about this, we must move <laughs> yeah. on with the show and start okay. with our hashtag Snell Talk question, which comes from Cameron. Cameron wants to know: Did you like maths in school, and what is your favorite number? See, I thought you were going to say, and which maths did you like? <laughs> what were your favorite of the maths? Of the various maths that exist. Um, I Did I like math in school? I did well at math in school. And um, all the way through to a year of calculus in college. And I did well in, with that. It was The grades were good. Did I did I like it? I don't know. I, I, I didn't love it. Um there were parts of it that I liked better than other parts. I liked uh I liked geometry, I think, or parts of that. Um there were other parts there was a, a math class I took in college where there was uh I think it was quadratic equations that mm. at that point in the quarter I had gotten um I had basically guaranteed myself an A. I had done the math, you see, to figure out that if I didn't <laughs> learn that chapter and didn't get anything right on that chapter on the final that I'd still get an A and therefore I never learned that. <laughs> and and Jamie was doing some uh quadratic equations in her math class last uh last year and I remember thinking, "Oh yeah. I never learned this. I skipped this part because it was unnecessary for my grade." So obviously I was not uh, as enthusiastic about it. My mother always used to say, oh, I like math. It's like solving a mystery. And I would always laugh and be like, no, it's no, it's not. That doesn't that doesn't work on me. I guess that worked for her, but it never worked for me. The old math is just a mystery. You're a you're a some sort of number detective and math is the mystery. Never worked for me, but I did find out. I, I, it was a means to an end. Uh, you know, it was working problems was fine. It was never particularly hard. It was just not fun. Um, my favorite number, mm-hmm. as my uh, answer just revealed, I have no favorite number. They're all fine. <laughs> I, like, I, I have, I, I literally have no. My my wife will talk about how um, her birthday is her favorite number. So it's like sixteen is her favorite number. Um, I don't. I have a favorite number. I don't even know what it would be. Uh, so uh, sure, sorry, Cameron. I thought math was fine, and I have no favorite number. I enjoyed math and was good at it, um, maths, 
until sure which maths the age of like <laughs> i don't know 13 or 14 i was like doing a, i was like above my grade right like i was actually really good at it i was one of the top in my year as soon as algebra came in to the uh, equation i lost complete interest i wasn't good at it anymore and i hated it um, so you were you were more of a plus minus uh multiply divide kid as soon as the explanations for like how does this work or why does this work started to drift towards just because my brain couldn't handle it no. anymore um and then i just I, I i mostly checked out i think that's the hard thing about abstract math is that yep. for some people it is um it is hard to because math can get very abstract and geometry was different in the sense that you you know you were talking about angles and um shapes and you could there there are lots of places that geometry is useful in terms of things like uh when you're playing uh, pocket run pool right like that's geometry happening there <laughs> that's interesting but uh, but yeah it, it can get really esoteric and it's very hard a lot of kids come kind of totally unmoored at that point and they're like what what does this even mean and i've seen that in my kids too where where they um they try to make it have applications but so often it's just so abstract and it can be hard for people's brains to grab onto uh, my favorite number is 24. I have no idea why. It's just been that way since I was a kid. I was going to give some kind of a, you know, annoying answer like pi or e is my favorite number or something like, or the square root of negative one. It's my favorite imaginary number. But no, I don't. I, I, if, when I was a kid, I always thought that seven would be a cool football jersey to have. Um, but that was, no, that's not my favorite number. I just thought that was a good football jersey number so i don't i don't have a favorite thank you so much to cameron for the hashtag snow talk question uh, if you would like to ask a question to open the show you just send a tweet with the hashtag snow talk and put in the list for future consideration jason shall we close the saga on your television i understand that you ha- you have a little bit more you wanted to touch on today Sure. Will it be math? <laughs> it's going to be more. By the way, don't send in uh, one. Th- this was the best math question that could ever be asked on Snell Talk. I, I want, because uh, I'm afraid that next week's Snell Talk question will be, you know, a train is moving west no. at 30 miles no, no. an hour. This is the thing, Jason. People may send those in. I'm not going to pick them. Yeah, right, because I don't want to be put in a situation where I might need to try and answer something like that. Not, this is not a math podcast. Don't send us your homework, basically. That's not, no, that's not what no, we, we got enough homework in right my now. house. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need any more of it. Yeah. Okay. So TV follow up. I was giggling at, at one of the uh, the blurbs that because uh, I write the blurbs for Upgrade and send them to you. And for those who don't listen to the podcast live at uh, nine a.m. Pacific, five p.m. GMT, uh, or BST. BST London time at, anyway because it mm-hmm. rolls. Yeah, as, as, it's a good way to remember. You know, like GMT that is the time that everybody sets to, and then the other time yeah. is the best time. We're the best time. That's how it works. The best time. It's mm-hmm. British summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so for those who don't listen, uh, when we're done with the show, you can hear us look through the titles and we pick the titles. And then the last thing that happens is that I, Mike tells me that I need to write the blurb. So I write the blurb that goes in your podcast player and says, "Oh, this week, Jason and Mike, blah blah blah." Um, and a couple weeks ago, I wrote one that was great because it was like, it was a huge week. Apple broke a trillion dollars in market cap and Jason got a TV. And I still, I saw that the other day and I was like, that's pretty good. I like that. That made me laugh. <laughs> anyway, I do have a TV. I got my furniture. So the, the saga of the 999 
$8.97 television uh, that prompted the purchase of a couple thousand dollars in other materials. Yeah. But it's nice. I, I had thought for a long time that I was going to put the TV on the wall, but um, it's on this table and it's uh it's a piece of furniture that's made for electronic stuff so unlike my old setup where i literally like cut holes in the back of the shelving in order for there to be uh uh ventilation and also um cables cable to pass management. through yeah it's just not just like literally i was just cutting holes um it was not good so this one comes with uh, routing and ventilation and all those things. So that was great. So all of my electronic gear, other than the TV and a little sensor that's stuck to the front of the TV that you can't even see, is inside. And then I had, I already had this for a couple of pieces, but now it's for everything. I have one of these little infrared routing things where you put that sensor on the outside and then there's a little box and then you can you you get a couple of little things that plug into it that are infrared repeaters uh, emitters basically and you stick those on um your other devices and at that point the infrared the stuff that's controlled by infrared there's now a conduit so you don't have to see any of that stuff but it can it it has a window through that one little sensor into the outside world, which means that I can control, you know, some of my stuff is radio frequency controlled, like the Apple TV and the TiVo, but some of it is is still infrared controlled. And um, I think, because I've got a Logitech Harmony, um, and I think I could hook it up to do all of that too. Um, but the problem is that I have a couple of remotes that I use that are sending infrared signals and... I think the harmony would basically like not like that. Like it wouldn't relay other remote signals, just its own uh, that it's getting from the little uh, uh, little uh, wireless remote that it has. Anyway, so um, but it works. It all works. My living room is super different now because there was a huge piece of piece of furniture that went almost all the way up to the ceiling. That's completely gone now. There's just this kind of like sideboardish cabinet that's against the wall. So it looks like we repainted the room only because you can see the the paint on the wall which you couldn't see before and we actually and we have one bookshelf left on that wall and we actually have rotated it 90 degrees so it's against the back wall actually against the wall to the garage and so it's cl- even clearer over there and it looks really nice and the tv is beautiful too but now the the living room feels different we are limited with what we can do in our living room um but that's that's pretty good uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. I also had a little follow-up from a listener. This was almost the Snell Talk question this week. And then I told you this should just roll into the TV follow-up, which mm-hmm. is that listener Andrew wrote in to say, what do you do for audio? You put a lot of care into your TV buying decision. I mean, I bought a TV. I don't know if that's a lot of care. You put a lot of thought into it, though, it would seem. You know, but the fact that we've been talking about it. It's a purchase, right? It's, it's, you gotta you spend $1,000 on something. You should probably think about it. It's not a, um... But uh, what Andrew wanted to know is, what about audio, and do I have a 5.1 receiver somewhere? Um, and have have you considered using an AV receiver as your primary hub for your input sources? All right, so I can talk about this for a second. I'm feeling I'm feeling very John Syracuse right now. Talking about tele- television purchases on a podcast seems like that's John's thing. But mm-hmm. here I go. I do Copyright have a 5.1 Syracuse receiver. Yes, yeah, this is follow up about TVs. So it's all John Syracuse. This is the prime follow up. I'd like to welcome John Syracuse to the show. Who's no, he's not here. Yeah, so I have a 5.1 receiver. I have a center channel. I have a left and right channel, and I have rear surrounds that are in the ceiling. When we redid our house, we had uh, speakers put in the ceiling. 
behind the uh, the the chair that's the primary viewing for the for the uh, TV. Um, I have I considered using an AV receiver as the hub for my input sources. My receiver is older and doesn't do 4K, so the 4K stuff can't plug into it. Um, so the way it's set up is I've got my 4K sources, which are the Apple TV and the Xbox One X, going direct into the into the TV, and then there's an optical cable that actually runs out to the receiver for audio sending back to the home theater. So basically the home theater gets the audio from the Apple TV and the Xbox via the television set. Um, all the other devices are being switched via HDMI on the receiver to the third input there, and there are only three, on the TV. So if we're watching something on uh, like the Wii U or the Switch, those all get routed through the receiver instead. Um, maybe someday I'll buy a new receiver with fancy new audio formats and fancy 4K video switching and stuff like that, where I could actually use. I was talking to um, talking to listener Jesse, who uh, uh, is a uh, used to used to run a, uh, a brewery in San Francisco, and I had. Uh, and he listens to the show, and I had lunch with him the other week, and he was saying, "Oh, you know, my setup. I've got, I've got the receiver controls everything, and it's controlled by the TV, and it's like a single, you know, it, it's got all the stuff that John Syracuse talks about not working works for him, and I, I'm skeptical that it would work for me, uh, but I may get there at some point. But for now, it's basically the setup I had before, um, other than a couple of the inputs are in different places, and in fact, my center channel is literally the center channel I bought when I first bought a surround system, which was in the mid '90s, <laughs> and I still have that speaker. But it's invisible now because the the new thing I bought, the new furniture I bought, has a little panel under the TV that's transparent. It's like a speaker cover, and you can pop it off and put a speaker behind it, and you can't see the speaker. You just see the little panel, and it looks really nice, but oh, there is a speaker back there making noise. So anyway, so for Andrew, yeah, there's, I, I've got 5.1 audio, and you know, every now and then I think, why am I doing this? And then I hear, um, I hear uh, cool you know, surround sound happening when I'm watching a movie, and, and then I'm like, that's why I do this. Also, as I think I said on our first installment of this, to wrap it all up, I did enter this kind of interim period where I just had the TV speaker <laughs> and I was afraid that right. I was going to hear the speaker coming out of the TV and think, why am I wasting my time with all of this home audio stuff? And it, no, it, it sounded terrible. So I'm very happy to have the audio that I've got. Today's episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at Smile who make Text Expander. Text Expander helps you communicate smarter. You create snippets for the things that you type or copy and paste all the time, and then you have them accessible to you whenever and whenever you want them. You can start by making snippets for short things that you constantly use, stuff like email addresses or website addresses or what about today's date, even formatted in the way that you want. I use very frequently the snippet when I type into my keyboard, UUSD, and it formats the date like an American would, which is very helpful for me because I get them mixed up more than I wished I would. And why not make snippets for longer things that you type regularly as well? What about directions? You're always giving directions to something where you can just type a couple of keyboard keyboard commands and then it's there. It's right available just at a couple of keystrokes. What about proposals to, to companies that you work with or answers to common questions that you're frequently giving over email? All of this stuff is super easily available to you 
whenever and wherever you want it with just a hotkey, or you can search for them. And Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad. I have it on my gaming PC, and I'm so happy that it's there. You can even personalize your responses using fill in field. So when you expand a snippet out, you can add in any little personal details that you need, like someone's name or some other identifying information that you need. Text Expander can save you so much time, whether you're trying to keep top of your email, you want to keep all of that in check, or maybe you're planning a party that involves lots of messages and coordination, or if you're just looking to be a little bit more productive. Plus, you can power up your whole team by sharing snippets as well. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast and you can get 20% off your first year. That is TextExpander.com slash podcast, 20% off your first year. And if they ask... Why don't you say you heard about them from this show? Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of Upgrade and Relay FM. So there are two reports uh, that came out. Uh, one basically immediately after we published last week's episode, yeah. um, and one this morning. So I appreciate Bloomberg uh, understanding that you need to publish before Upgrade. So thank you yep. for that. Um, Solid. Both uh, both reports have the byline of Mark Gurman and Debbie Wu from Bloomberg. One of them is about Macs, and the others is about the iPhone X, mostly. So let's start chronologically. Let's go through the Macs. So the the really, all of the information that you need is contained within one sentence, which is, Apple will release a new low-cost laptop and a professional-focused upgrade to the Mac Mini desktop later this year. That's... Basically, this is an article that is written around that one piece of information that they have. And this is not yeah. a criticism, right? Because if that's all you've got, well, that is good information to, to give to us, right? Like, I want to know those two things, but it doesn't really seem like right now there is a lot more information than that. But that will not stop us digging into it in a little bit more detail, even though Jason kind of has a little bit already um, yep. because you were on the talk show this weekend. But mm-hmm. I'm only 10 minutes into the episode so far, and I want to talk to you about it. And that's how it works around here. All right. That's that's how it works. That, that's fine. But people can go check. If you want to listen to me and John Gruber speculate about naming of products Especially, yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, I don't it's think, in, it's in there today. It's, so. it's in there. It's a good conversation if you've I'll got a spare two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've started it, and I'm looking forward to getting through it because I do love when you two are together. I always enjoy it. Um, we're funnily enough, we're kind of doing a talk show in reverse today because we're talking about keyboards later as part of the summer of fun. But we'll get to that. Yeah, it's still uh, no baseball. It's, it's special keyboards. It's special keyboards. So let me uh, let's do these things in in two parts. We're going to talk about the Mac Mini, then we'll talk about the laptop. So. Going back to the article, for this year's Mac Mini, Apple is focusing primarily on pro users with new storage and processor options likely to make it more expensive than previous versions. What is this Mac Mini, Jason? Like, What is it? I can't seem to get my head around what this product's actually going to be. So I think it's... Um... And there's a good conversation on ATP. Again, thank you to Bloomberg for last week re- releasing this after we did our episode. That was really That's good, nice. though. It just gives us more time to think, you know? Yeah, it's true. Less, it's true, less but hot takes, more like well-baked takes. ATP uh, covered this pretty well, too. But I, I uh, first off, I want to say I have once again seen people r- revive this kind of dream that it's basically a Mac Pro uh, enclosure that can scale up or scale down as needed, which is just not how it works. The it's X not, Mac. Yeah, you, you can't. 
the 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 demands that what you would have to build for a Mac Pro would make the base model of a Mac Mini so ridiculously expensive. It's just it's that's not how it's going to work. They're going to build something that is probably a lot like the Mac Mini that we know today, but with modern stuff. Maybe they will redesign the exterior. They do that every every so often. I think it could be smaller. I think they can get away from. I think they should be getting away from the spinning discs and the optical drives now. You know, they, they, they keep escaping these things that take up a lot of space inside. So it doesn't have to be as small as like the Intel NUC that I have, but um, smaller than the current Mac Mini design would probably be something that they could do. And the fact is, if you look at what Intel pro- provides these days, there are pretty powerful processors, including 4-core, which were not available um, when they did the last redesign, so they actually took them off of the price list. So I think all this is going to be is that they're going to let it be a little less constrained by price. They're not going to worry about it being a $500 Mac. Um, maybe it'll start five or $600, but it'll go way up from there. Maybe it will start at seven or eight. Who knows? But it'll have, you know, i5s in there, maybe an i7, but certainly i5s, four-core um, SSDs, and modern connection stuff, and it'll just be a modern Mac Mini, and and then they'll ride that one for four more years. I I don't I don't think this is actually going to be a particularly complicated product. I think it's going to use the latest stuff from Intel and that Apple has, and I think as Marco mentioned on ATP, basically like imagine a a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Escape uh, put in a Mac Mini enclosure. That's basically what this could be, and it could, that would that could be great. Is the Pro the marketing? Is it pro in the marketing then? I, I think the professional focused upgrade, my choice of interpretation there is that this is a product that leans into what people are using the Mac mini for. And those people want features that are a little more expensive and they're not going to shy away from it. I think I read this as being much more that they're less concerned about the Mac mini being a $500 entry level Mac for people who want to buy a headless Mac and then attach a, you know, the, the, yeah monitor from their pc to it and they attach their pc keyboard and mouse the kind of original premise of the mac so mini we're maybe looking at something that starts at like 700 dollars, right and it, yeah and they're not as you say they're not gonna they're not gonna go to the bottom of the line or whatever with stuff they're gonna go middle of the road to begin with because quite frankly the mac mini customer buys laptops now right i.e most people this is a utility Mac. I mean, people do use it in a desktop configuration, and it will still do that. But I think that I think that what Apple's doing here, or at least how it's being, because again, there's layers here, how it's being interpreted by Bloomberg as a professional focused upgrade. And there is a line later on about this too. But it, it's it's a um, pro- focusing primarily on pro users and new storage and processor options are likely to make it more expensive than previous versions. That seems to be. I mean, I just think that's really straightforward that the base price will probably come up again. Remember um, when it shipped the first time it was 500 and then they went up to 600 and then later they brought it back down. I think they're going to not shy away from making it six or $700 to start. And then you're going to have a whole bunch of things that will boost the price up. And um, and that's good, right? Because if you're somebody who wants to buy one of the, these things and your frustration has been that it's not powerful enough, then here's the other way that they can go, which is like, all right, you can make it powerful now. You can make it really powerful. You can load up a really powerful processor and a bunch of SSD uh, and it'll be more expensive. Also more expensive, I do kind of read that as SSD. Like I said before, like, are you, are you going to build a new desktop enclosure today and build it around a spinning hard drive? 
uh, which would be like by far the largest thing in mm-hmm. inside that Mac Mini. Uh, if you take it out, take the spinning hard drive out, and take the options of having like a, a like a fusion drive out of that thing, it can be a lot smaller, but it'll also be a lot more expensive to start because SSDs are more expensive. So I think that might be involved here. I, I don't know if I would make a bet that they're going to completely drop the spinning disk, but I will tell you that, um, you know, I understand the economic issues, but like product design wise, you should not design a new enclosure for this thing around a spinning hard drive like don't just don't do it just just commit to it and say look it starts at 700 and that's with a tiny ssd in it and if you want lots of external storage our customers you can hear them saying it oh our customers who want external storage they love external storage on the mac mini and that's where they can store all their stuff but the ssd is important for performance and blah 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 um so that's what i think they're more more likely going to do is is yeah yeah ssds make it really small um, lots of processor options, lots of expensive SSD, you know, expansion options and port wise, I think they can fit like my Intel NUC, which I, I will grant you has, has ports on the front and the back, which seems very un Apple like, uh, in this day, but, uh, it's got it's really good though. Four USB A's and a USB C. Yeah. I have ports on the front and back of my PC. And every single time I use one of the USB ports on the front, which is typically for something quick, I think to myself, I love that you're there, USB port, right? Because if yeah. I'm just plugging in a controller to play what this one game that I play a controller and a controller with, I don't want to be messing around pulling things out of the back. Like, is it go? Where is it going? Just pop it straight in the front. I know Apple aren't going to do this. I'm not advocating for them to do this. It's merely a point of me just saying it's really nice sometimes. Yeah. So, and I, I use that on my uh, on the Intel NUC too, where it's like I just need to plug this thing in. It's not permanently in there, but I need mm-hmm. to plug this in for a few minutes and then unplug it. Anyway, it's got lots of ports, uh, and that's a USB C Thunderbolt three port that it's actually got on the back. So, uh, I imagine they'll do probably a combination since it's a desktop Mac of USB A and USB C, um, and it'll be Thunderbolt Bolt three. And again, that's a thing where they're gonna they're gonna not necessarily be afraid of designing it for. Uh, more pro use rather than yep. it being cheap because they could make a cheap Mac, right? But it's almost against the brand promise. Like Apple doesn't want to make a cheap Mac. The, yeah. the five hundred dollars is already like pretty low down there uh, in terms of the Mac Mini. So, um, yeah. So I think that's how I read it. Is it's literally it is what you think it is. Don't overthink it. It's a Mac Mini with the latest Intel stuff, which means it will be more powerful and that it, w- it will you can load it up with features and make it. Uh, a, a powerful system that you can use for whatever you want to use it for in wherever you want, which is what the Mac Mini should be. Mm-hmm. And having some flexibility there to have it be the cheap one or where it's not as cheap as it was, but it's still relatively cheap, or have it be the super pricing one that's got more features, great. Like, that's that's a nice thing for them to do. But I don't think it's... I think that's the limit of this sure. use of the word pro users. I, I don't think it goes beyond that. I was about to say, like, it's pointless to make a cheaper Mac Mini. And and I want to kind of, I want to try and wrap this up in a way that tries to address. I I understand that there are people that use Mac Minis for all sorts of uses, like who want a cheaper Mac Mini, etc. Like, I get, I get that there are always people that use products in ways that either they were or weren't meant for right like i understand that there are some people that their budget is stretched to the point that they can only afford to buy a mac mini and then hook it up to their pc i get that but at the same time like apple knows who they're selling this stuff to like nobody knows better than them right like what is selling what's not selling and my expectation is that over the next few years and it's and i think that we see a big 
moment when they introduced this Mac Mini, that Apple considers their desktop machines as professional-focused machines by and large because yeah. that's where they're being used. And, and I think that this extends, like, even looking at something like the iMac 5K, it is a very nice, expensive machine. Like, is being used in almost prosumer level by probably a lot of their customers because... By and large, people own and use laptops now and plug yeah. them into a screen if they want to. And the thing is, like, Apple knows this. Their data says it. Do you remember off the top of your head when they did that breakdown? Was it some? It was like single. It was like low double digit percentages with desktop or something like that. Was what they no, said. It's, it's been for a very for a very long time. Um, it's been like a quarter of the between a third and a quarter trending toward a quarter of their sales yeah. are and, desktops. Yeah. So, you know, you look at it and it's like, well, clearly people are buying laptops now. So it's just like, yeah. yes, I understand that like every time they do something like this, they're going to shut people out. Like if you were hoping for an update to the $500 Mac Mini, I understand that that's frustrating that they would then push this to be pro. But I think that what they're trying to do and what they would be doing with this machine is actually making it fit more people by making it a more capable machine it will fit more people's use cases um, even though it may shut out others yeah and the other argument would be that they're the other rumor here of a more affordable laptop with a new design is on the other side of that would be a five hundred dollar laptop but it that that's on the other side of this too which is that's a more likely broad appeal device um the other thing is could apple make a cheap uh enclosure thingy sure they could but it's Apple, right? Like part of Apple being Apple is that they want their profit margin and they want they, they don't want to make something that's perceived as a cheap product. And so like the Intel NUC that I've got, um, you know, it, it cost me a fraction of what the same specs would cost. Actually, I did the math. Uh, speaking of math, uh, it cost a fraction of what the Mac Mini currently available would cost with similar specs. And that's the, you know, four-year-old model, basically. Um, so there, there's obviously Apple's going to make something that is nicer. It's also plasticky and stuff like Apple would make a nicer computer than that for sure. Um, and they build in their profit margin. That that's just how they, that's, that's Apple. So there is occasionally I get, especially from people who are kind of tangential to the, the Apple world complaints about like Apple stuff's too expensive. And it's like, that has been baked into Apple for a long time that Apple doesn't make Apple's not going to make a $300 laptop. They're just not like, they're just never going to do that. They do make an iPad that is priced down there, but a $300 Mac laptop is just not, it's not a, a market they've ever been in and, and, and they're never going to be in it. And that's just sort of a fundamental of, of Apple. So I, I think, um, I think you're right though. Like desktops are more, of a niche product now they're they have very niche uses i yep. actually think that's an argument in the for the for the mac mini rather than against it in that like it is a place where having a utilitarian desktop computer box yep is actually good i i this is my argument for the mac mini all along if you lean into the nicheness you can produce a more interesting product exactly right and th those people love it and it and it is a release valve it is this escape hatch for the mac which is like yeah. if you don't want to use any of our other macs if none of them work in the context where you need a mac mac mini just pick it up it, it's little stick it wherever attach whatever you want to it 
Going back to the, the report, the Bloomberg report, the new laptop will look similar to the current MacBook Air, but will include thinner bezels around the screen. The display, which will remain about 13 inches, will be a higher resolution retina version that Apple uses on other products. What is this laptop, Jason? Mm. What is it? It's, well, okay. So first off, we'll look similar to the current MacBook Air. There's been a lot of Kremlinology about that. A lot, a lot of tea leaf reading about what does it mean. All laptops look the same on a fundamental basis. <laughs> and, and and somebody, well, that's it. It's like, well, oh, you mean it will be an aluminum laptop with an Apple logo on it? Wow, I am shocked. Knock me over with a feather. So, um, the, some of the Kremlinology is also like, why did Gurman put this in here, and why didn't he? Why wasn't he more specific? And the answer is, I, to me, readily apparent, which is the person who told Gurman this, Gurman's source, said, yeah, it basically, you know, it looks like a MacBook Air or something like that, or because they don't know more details, and so you end up with that kind of uh, uh, game of telephone where it you vague it up because you don't have the detail, and and so I think it's kind of a meaningless thing. Um, I don't think it means it's a MacBook Air. I think it means it's going to look like an Apple laptop. It probably means that it's going to be aluminum and not plastic, which is, again, not a shocker if that's the case. Um, I think it's really just set up there to say that the Air has those big bezels and that this one's not going to have that, which I would I would assume that any modern laptop, even a, a one targeted at a lower price point from Apple, is going to have the kind of edge-to-edge with a, the, the pane of glass, the design that they have on every other laptop for a very long time, and not the silver frame <laughs> that was on yes. the air. Like that, that's a, It's a very old design. I always liked it because I always felt like it was less glary than the big pane of glass. But, um, but Over no time, way. it started to feel like your computer is a CRT. I guess that's what yeah. the MacBook Air looks like to me. Huge bezel, low quality screen. Yeah, like, bezels are 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 out. <laughs> I mean, for oh me, yes, they're they're out. Like nobody wants them. In it's they are unfashionable. So of course they're going to be thinner bezels, and the bezels will be hidden behind that continuous sheet of glass. Uh, I think that's almost a, a a given. So I think you know I think the the idea here is that the as Gruber and I talked about a little bit and we've talked about on this show a lot that the MacBook was uh, maybe originally intended or the MacBook Escape or both intended to be air like and neither of them can come close to its price and that may be on purpose and it, i think some of it is accidental i think maybe they thought it would be lower in price and it didn't get there so this sounds like they're making a product that is specifically designed to replace the macbook air which is only holding on because they can sell it at 9.99 so i think this is i think literally this is the we want to sell a laptop for 8.99 or 9.99 what's it going to be and maybe it's a redesigned and sort of decontented um macbook escape uh or maybe it's something new i don't think it's the i mean it, it, the, the macbook is 12 and this is going to be 13.3 so i think it's more likely that it's either a brand new design or it's taking the macbook escape and basically remixing it so that they can actually get it down to 9.99 um because I think they want they want a modern computer with modern parts that's 9.99 and the air isn't it and if they have to um suck it up a little bit in terms of their margin for a little while i think maybe they'll do that but i think that so i think that's what this is this is literally them saying we can't keep doing the air we need to make a product what product can we make what laptop can we make for 9.99 and sell it and that's what this is 
What do they call it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a mess. Very clearly, the MacBook it was supposed to be the name, and it was simplified this all, and MacBook and MacBook Pro. And, and, and that brings a level of discipline to the naming, like with the iPad, that's like, I think, welcome. I think that's what Apple wants to do, except what do they do now? Um, I think they may still call it MacBook. I think it may just be, this is the 13-inch MacBook. And then there's the 12-inch MacBook that is a little more expensive, maybe, maybe not, um, but is thin and light. And this one is going to be heftier, still like three pounds, right? It's not going to be two pounds, but it'll probably be three pounds and a little cheaper. It would be super interesting to, instead of changing the price by screen size, they change it by something else, right? Because Apple product lines are you have your product line and then you have the same model and it either has some internal configurations that are different or it is different screen sizes in the line that affect the change, right? Wouldn't yeah. it, it would be super interesting to be like, here are two products. They have different internals in the same size screen, but the physical body is different in some way. Here is the price difference. Because yeah. that seems but like the- a really interesting way in both good and weird ways to display a product decision to the customer. Well, I think I think though this rumor is that this is a thirteen point three, and so I think I think what we're going to get is we're going to get the MacBook at twelve, mm-hmm. this at thirteen point three, and then the MacBook Pro also has a thirteen point three, but they won't call this thing MacBook Pro; they'll call it something else. And I, I, again, the more I think about it, the more I think that the MacBook Escape is gone or turned into this product. A hundred percent, because they didn't right? update it. Right, and and what Gruber pointed out that I think is interesting is you know back in the day the MacBook Air came out and it was it was like seventeen hundred bucks it was it was not the cheap laptop and you yeah. had this you don't the smallest laptop doesn't have to be the cheapest laptop and I think that's actually the most likely scenario here is that they make a thirteen inch laptop it's nine ninety nine and then the MacBook at twelve is gets an update but is still probably 10 or 11.99, right? It's not 9.99. And so yes, the little MacBook that's underpowered um, but only weighs 2 pounds costs a little bit more than the entry level 13-inch MacBook. I think that's okay. I think that it's clear why that thing costs more is cuz it's it's little and cute and super thin and th- that's the reason that you pay a little bit more for it. I don't believe that everything has to be about the like the smaller the screen size the the less the value of the laptop so i think that's the i think that's the scenario and and you asked about the name i i just i think the simplest thing to do is to just say we have a new macbook today it's a 13.3 macbook and that they still also we also updated the 12 inch macbook and isn't it great too and the and there you go you got macbook with two models 12 and 13 and macbook pro with two models 13 and 15 good simple i want to ask you the the like the question on everybody's lips right the keyboard. What is it? What do they do? I, I think it depends on what this product is. If this product is uh, a remade uh, MacBook Escape, it, presumably it'll just keep a lot of the features of the Escape, including the keyboard. If it really is sort of let's throw that design away and do something new, and and this is something that ATP went into last week, you know, because uh, Marco's point on ATP, and I think it's a very good one, is there are lots of decisions you can make to opt for the cheaper whatever. No wide color gamut. No true tone display. Uh, is there a cheaper keyboard? Because his thesis is that um, other keyboard styles are going to be cheaper to make, like literally cheaper to make and cheaper to support than the butterfly keyboard. Maybe so. Um, uh, maybe we'll, 
I I, th- I think it's a coin flip, or, or or more accurately, I think it's um, did it get redesigned or not? If this is a kind of version of a an existing system like the MacBook Escape, I think that keyboard is going to just be the keyboard that we just saw introduced in the in the MacBook Pros. Um, it would be. If it's a new design, then it's possibly a new design that is hinting at Apple's future design directions, at which point it might be a new keyboard um, or or a more familiar keyboard like the Magic Keyboard style keyboard. But um, if I, again, if I was a betting man, <laughs> I would probably say it's more likely to be the same keyboard that we just saw. That's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like the villain of the Macintosh is that keyboard. <laughs> It will be interesting to see if it creeps into this product as well. Uh, and I'll ask you too, um, t- last last two questions actually on this. What ports do you expect to stick around on a laptop? I mean, we kind of went through it with the Mac Mini, right? Like that, that because it's a desktop machine, because it has, uh, it will just by design have more space, right? The, the surface yeah. area that you would probably expect it to be like the iMacs are, right? Like a mix of USBs. Um do you think that a, a new laptop would have less than the MacBook Air? Uh, well, so what the MacBook Air has is a, a, a MagSafe, a mini DisplayPort Thunderbolt, and two USBs and an SD card slot, right? right MagSafe has got to go no matter what, right? I feel like that's the obvious one. Unless, I would say, unless Apple, this is a redesigned laptop. I think there's a wild card here, which is this is a redesigned laptop that's actually auguring all the changes Apple is going to make down the road to their laptops. Right. And it has a new version of something which is akin to a MagSafe. That will eventually be yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I think it's less likely on a product that you're targeting to be cheap. <laughs> but it could happen. Could happen, right? Know. If they're designing yep. a new way to do power or a new connector or something like that, and they, they've got it ready to go, and this is the first new laptop body that they've released in a few years then maybe we would see it. But it seems less likely, which is why I think the most likely thing is it's going to be like the MacBook Escape. It's going to have two USB-C. And that's it. Yep. I think that's the most likely thing. I would yep. love it to have a USB-A and a USB-C um, or two USB-C and a USB-A, something like that, where you could, you could power it with USB-C and still have a couple of ports and a headphone jack, which I'm hoping they will not. Like, there's so many uses for that, especially in education settings. Like, keep the headphone jack. Come on. Um, so, yeah, but... I, 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 that's what I would prefer. I would prefer two US, USB-C and a USB-A or even one USB-C and one USB-A. But if I had to bet, I would bet that we're all wish casting by saying that and that the reality will be two USB-C. I think that would be a little bit disappointing considering where this product would most likely be used, right? It, it would seem right. weird. And, that, and it's replacing the air, which yeah. means now it's every a whole new um, suburban region has been annexed into Dongletown. Yeah, the the, the dong, the, the what is it? The gerrymandering of Dongletown will continue. Dongletown's growth is just out of control, and here here they go. They've taken over a whole other little uh, town outside mm-hmm. of the outskirts of town, and they've made a part of Dongletown. It could nobody in who's buying MacBook Airs now has had to deal with these dongles. The, none of them have had to do it. It's all the familiar ports. So. If this doesn't do that, then that will be, you know, yet another portion of the market that's going to have to deal with adapting stuff and all of that. But you know what? Doesn't mean Apple won't do it. Last question for you. When do you think we'll see these? Um, well, I mean, we got the rumors here, so I think it's I think it'll get announced September or October, depending on if there's a second event 
Yeah, that, that's more what I'm asking you. Do you think that these get included in the iPhone event or do they get their own event? Boy, I, I don't know. I mean, if I were Apple, I think there's too much to go in that event and that um, you can roll out Max at an, a later time and you don't even necessarily need an event or you can do a smaller event and say, now now the focus is the Mac, which is a hint to all those people who love the iPhone that they don't even need to come to the event and uh, you could do it there. So yeah, that would be my guess is that this is going to be one of those announce October ship November things, but it's possible that it's an announce. I think they could make it, you know, make an event on its own. Maybe share a little bit more sneaky details about the Mac Pro, you know, like make it a thing, you know, give an update, right? Like that's where we get the update. It could be its own event. I hope they do. I hope that they feel the Mac could deserve an event. I also think, I also think it's possible that they are going to focus on the Apple Watch and the iPhone in September and leave the iPad and the Mac to talk about later like it really is just like how packed do they want that event to be because they could fill two hours with ios rollout the iphone watch os rollout and the and the new apple watch and leave the rest of it for another event they have so much to announce do you want to have all of it in the shadow of the iphone and the apple watch is an iphone accessory so it fits there so i mean I could make that case. I could make the case that they need two events and one of them is iPad and Mac and the other is just iPhone because everybody cares mm. about that. The counter argument is everybody cares about the iPhone. So if you care about your product, put it under the iPhone spotlight because the closer it is to the iPhone, the more people are going to know about it. We may be approaching draft territory, but I, I would actually mm. bet that they do all iOS together and don't even mention Mojave um, in the September event. And just then wrap that. We'll put it on the draft board and we'll see what happens. We'll see. All right. Let's take a break and we'll talk about these iPhone 10 rumors that came out today as well. Today's show is brought to you by Inboard Technology. The genius is behind the motorized M1 skateboard. Inboard's flagship M1 eboard is set apart from from the pack with its innovative industry-leading features and its sleek yet rugged design. The Inboard Vision mobile app controls every aspect of the board. It allows your mobile device to be used as a throttle even, but also provides regular firmware updates to make sure that your board is completely tuned as it should be and also allows you to switch between modes. So if you're just starting out, maybe it's the first time you've ever tried an electric skateboard, you can set it to beginner mode, which caps the speed at 5 miles an hour. So that's really good for beginners like me. The board has the glide of a traditional skateboard with the power and freedom of an electric motor and the the remote itself, the remote that you get included, has a simple intuitive design and a safety trigger means that you won't accidentally hit the button and watch your skateboard fly off into the ether. I have been sitting and looking at my M1 e-board for the last couple of weeks and could not wait until I could try it out. And I did this weekend, and I have this audio of my experience for you. So I was excited about this, but I've never ridden a skateboard before. And this thing is actually a, a lot of fun i'm very excited about it i've been looking forward to riding this thing it's really smooth i feel like i have good control of the speed i love the safety features i love that it has lights on it i love the way the remote feels and works i am very excited to spend more time with this thing i want to get good i want to ride around the streets with it you can seriously upgrade your commute with one of these boards they are amazing forget being stuck in traffic you can zoom around 
the streets and head to work. And even if you don't need something for your commute, what a great way to get around your neighborhood. And that is what I am going to be doing for a limited time only. Save $100 on your purchase of the M1 eBoard by going to inboardtechnology.com and using the code UPGRADE100 at checkout. Get the board, try it out for 14 days. If it's not right for you, you can just send it back. They have an easy return policy. So if you've always wanted to try out a motorized board, now is the time to do it. Go to inboardtechnology.com. That is I-N-B-O-A-R-D technology.com and use the code UPGRADE100, UPGRADE100, and you will save $100 for a limited time only. Go there now. Trust me, you won't regret it. These things are incredible. They're so much fun. Thanks so much to Inboard Technology for their support of this show on Relay FM. So the second German Wu collaboration of the episode we're talking about today. This time it's about the iOS device lineup for September. Jason Snell, let me rapid fire the information that we got today. Three phones with edge-to-edge screens, 6.5-inch OLED, which will allow you to view content side-by-side in apps like Mail and Calendar. This is the return of the iPhone Plus landscape mode, right, which wasn't in the 10. Um, right. The Almost useless uh, landscape mode. Really, I want split view. I don't know why they can't find a way to just do that. I know it's super small, but just making it happen. 5.8-inch OLED phone, which is effectively the iPhone XS, has a faster processor and better camera. And then the 6.1-inch LCD uh, will come in multiple colors with aluminum edges, not stainless steel. This is effectively the German confirmation of the rumors that have been circulating for the last couple of months, right? Three right. devices, their sizes, the fact that one of them has colors, got a plus one, a regular one. The internals are basically S revisions, but you get the big one, right? So that's that's kind of like the news that will come out, right? There, as well as having a cheaper version of the iPhone 10 design. Yeah, I keep thinking about what happens to the iPhone 8 because here's the thing. We, we talk about this with the iPhone SE. It's also true of the iPhone 8. Like, not... The iPhone 8 is a good product, and I think it sells very well. And it is the size of the iPhone 7 and 6S and 6. And what's missing in all of these reports is what happens to that phone size. The iPhone 10 is not much larger, and maybe that's the answer, is like, if you want a smaller-ish phone, you just got to get the iPhone 10 and deal with, it, deal with it being slightly larger or retreat to the iPhone SE. It seems kind of weird that there's no mainstream phone that's the size of the 8. Does that make sense? Like, I, I'm troubled yes. by the idea that there's a 6.1-inch screen that's rumored as this iPhone 9 or whatever they want to call it. But, like, that's a plus phone. That is not the size of a standard, what we think of as a standard iPhone. And even the iPhone 10 is slightly larger, although I've come to accept it as being the size of an iPhone. So that that part really baffles me. So I, I've got that out there, too, which is, like, are they literally going to be, like, also the iPhone 8 is great. Or are they going to say, eh, and there's also an 8S, or we've upgraded the internals in the 8, but there's also a 9 so, and a 10 and a 10 plus. I don't, it's, it's, yeah. there's a missing piece here. And I would be very surprised if they literally said, if you like the standard design that's been on the iPhone for the last five years and want a new model, we don't have one for you. But that's what these rumors say, is that there's no fourth phone or fifth phone with the SE. There's just these three. And they are missing a piece there. 
So we were talking about this on uh, Connected last week. Steve Troutman-Smith and Guillermo Rambo found some evidence that suggests that there will be a phone which is being referred to in code as the T500, which is an A10 CPU and the same screen resolution and RAM of the iPhone 7. So could this be some kind of 5C-like device or is it the SE2 or something like that? But there seems to be another piece it could be that the SE branding, and this will be very sad for people who like the small size of the SE, yeah. it could be that the SE branding to the is seven. going to be moved mm-hmm. to the successor to the iPhone 8 yep. and use the iPhone 7, 8, 6, 7, 8 design, mm-hmm. and that's the new SE And that would sure explain why there hasn't been another iPhone SE, right? Because right. maybe what they're trying to establish is that SE doesn't mean small, it means we're keeping around an old design for a little bit longer, for cheaper. Right, so, And right. that would be harder to uncover in uh, supply chain rumors at this point, right? So that well, might yeah, be Well, yeah, it literally looks like more iPhone 8s rolling off the line, but they're actually you know? going to be put in a different box. It would be harder to tell, right? If they're using a lot of the same parts, then it would be harder to tell, whereas there's uh, these two new phones with, mm-hmm. with pretty uh, new parts. I think it's interesting. I think it's worth... Uh, the other great mystery. So I, I'm, of course, you're talking about this new LCD 6.1 inch phone and this new 6.5 inch OLED screens phone. So of course, what I want to talk about is the phone that's not listed, and then the next thing I want to talk about is the phone that's the least interesting of these, which is <laughs> the one you want, the iPhone, the iPhone <laughs> 10, right? Yeah. But I think it's, I think that's another question here, which is, is it the iPhone 10 S? Is it the iPhone 10 2018 model updated just but it's still called iPhone 10 which would be very interesting because that would be Apple pivoting this is what Gruber and I talked about a lot pivoting away from the iterations of uh, numbers uh, Apple's done it before they get to the Roman numeral X and they're like we can stop here this is good this is a, a, a position of stability we can stay here for a while and we don't have to go up to iPhone 16 we don't want to do that Um so that's a question for me. And the other question for me is price, because one thing you could do rather than really pushing the specs on the iPhone X is drop the price and say, well, you know, you were resistant to the iPhone X last year at $999, but now it's $899, and the new model is $999 or something like that. I, I don't kind of don't see them doing that, but no, because it they, is a possibility. They, they, the LCD one is the price sensitive, right? They, they're bringing in a $600... Yeah, but it's big. That's that, that's yeah, why but, there's a missing piece no. here because it's it's like it's big. So where if you, if you if you're somebody who's got an iPhone seven or an iPhone six S and you just want a new iPhone, what do you buy? And 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 it's like well, you've got this huge phone that's cheaper. That's eight ninety nine, which is not cheap, but cheaper. You've got this phone that's more or less the size of what you expect. It's nine ninety nine. Like and that's why I have that question about what happens to those people. What are they buying? Are they just told to buy the iPhone eight, or is there an update of some sort to the iPhone eight? I don't know. So I, I think it's fascinating, right? Because we we talked when these rumors came out about the iPhone ten being released alongside what turned out to be the iPhone eight last year. A lot of the conversation, and certainly a lot of what I talked about, was this idea that um, Apple was taking a gamble by having weird stuff in the iPhone line and kind of expanding it. Well, the gamble worked. Apple's sales were great, and they sold a lot more at a higher price because the iPhone 10 costs more. And this, is this too, is a gamble, what they're doing here. But it seems like they've hit upon this idea that they should make more kinds of iPhone at more price points, including some that are very high, and that 
people want iPhones and will spend money on them. So, which I mean, is kind of a no-brainer on one level, but it is risky because anytime you take a chance with the iPhone, you're risking your business because it's the most important part of Apple's business. I feel like all of the risks have some element of payoff, right, that they've done because if you increase the price, you don't need to sell as many. Well, that's why I think the the 10 plus is just a no-brainer of a product. Yeah. Because it's going to be more expensive. It's like eleven, twelve hundred dollars to start. And it's going to have a beautiful, huge screen, and people will buy it. You know, right? It's the, and it doesn't need to be the flagship. It's not. It's the high end, huge, niche phone. But people will buy it. It will push the average selling price of the iPhone up even higher. Because if you want that phone, Mike Hurley, you know you want that. Phone. Oh boy, I'm salivating. You for it. <laughs> will buy it, right? So yeah. why not make that phone? But it doesn't have to be the flagship. The, the the 10 is really the flagship, and I think that's what we're seeing here is that the 10's the flagship, and then there'll there will be some other phones around it. Um, but the, the part of the tricky transition here is how do you transition away from the six, seven, eight as the flagship, and is that an SE model? Um, that is sort of like we're going to hold it in place. It's got new internals, but it's basically what the eight was, and we'll keep selling that. And then we've also got, you know, and and there's no eight plus, right? There's just this other six point one yeah. LCD screen yeah. phone, and that's the that's with with whatever they call that. I don't even know what they call that. The it, maybe the nine. nine. Yeah. So my, my I've been thinking about. It, so I think I spoke I spoke about it somewhere else. I don't remember, but I think. I don't know what they're going to do with the 10 S and plus. I don't know if they'll do that. They might come up with something else. Right. But I think they'll both be like Roman numeral X something. Right. You know, but the, the, the 6.1 inch LCD, I think will be called the nine because this was the phone that actually bridges the gap between the old and new. Right. they, They skipped it as they said, right. This is two years in the future, this phone or whatever. Right. Um, and because this phone in the middle was called the nine and they would have gotten there, you know, wink, wink, but they just, you know, they never did. Right. They, they decided to skip straight to 10. Right. So I think this would be called the nine. That's the only one that I feel pretty sure on with naming outside of that. I, I don't really know what they're going to go with. No, I, and I still feel, feel pretty strongly that the right thing for them to do. I'm not saying that this is, I'm predicting this is going to happen, but to me, the obvious choice is to just get off the carousel and say iPhone 10, iPhone 10 plus. And the iPhone 10 is like this year's iPhone 10. We have a new iPhone 10. It's better than last year's iPhone 10. And just, just, they can do that. They don't have to call it something else. They don't have to, because st- iPhone 10s is like the XS, X's, is it plural? Is it possessive? Is it, you know, in addition, it's like, no, it's just the iPhone 10. It's the new iPhone 10. They can Let do it. Let me pose they what can do I consider the issue is with this, right? I think a lot of the time we we point at the other product lines and be like, well, look, the iPad, they don't change the name of anymore. And, you know, the the, the iPad Pro or whatever, right? they don't do it with the Mac, with the MacBook. All of those products, the products that, that keep just the same name of a different year, they are primarily sold majorly by Apple themselves, right? Like in their own stores with their own marketing and everything else around it, where the iPhone is sold in very large quantities by third parties without people that are like super well-trained. Mm. There's more kind of issues that can arise over having complicated naming. And I think one of the reasons that you you iterate the iPhone name every year is because people buy them every year. There's a new one every year. People buy them every year. And it's so much easier to go into your carrier store and see, right, this is the new one, or they can point to the new one. Like, it requires 
more information to be known and things to be explained with the iPhone than with the other products. I hear what you're saying, and yet I just don't think it's as big of an issue. Um, phones aren't being bought every year as much as they used to, is part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a lot of investment in the iPhone 10 branding, I think, at this point, that they may want to ride a little bit longer. And I just think they can get away with it. I personally hope that they do give it a new name just because as a person who speaks about this stuff for a living, it gets really difficult when they don't rename them. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I just don't think it's that bad. It's it's the it's this year's iPhone ten. Last year's iPhone ten, this year's iPhone ten. Like mm-hmm. it's I, I don't think it I think it's different, but I don't think it's a, a problem. And I think the iPhone can bear it. And in a year where honestly, in a year where the iPhone ten isn't going to change that much apparently, it's just gonna get some upgraded internals, but this is it, you know, it was already ahead of the curve. Um I think maybe that's the argument here is that uh it's you know, the it's still the iPhone ten. It's still great. It's a little bit better. But it's it's still great. Um, I, I that's I think that that's the right decision because I do think they have to hop off of the constant kind of numbering thing. And I don't think once you choose a Roman numeral, which is a letter, right? So it's it's not just ten; it's the letter X, right? And then to do an S, like are they going to take the letter off and make it a one zero S or something? X S doesn't work. Like they already they already kind of eliminated that angle for them and i think plus just makes sense for the for the big phone 10 plus like x plus like why would you everybody uh, understands what that it would means. be kind of fun to use the plus sign mm. an x and just the plus sign that might look quite cool <sighs> i don't know it, it's it's a as i said to grouper um you know i'm kind of glad i'm not in the room about this stuff. Well, here's the thing, though, Jason. You say that. These are judgment calls. But we love talking about it. Well, I love talking about it, but this is billions, hundreds of billions of dollars mm-hmm. of a product. I would like to say I would very, very much like to be in the room making the decision. Well, okay. Oh, hmm. Now, I don't think I would want to make the decision. I, I mean, you would be supported by a lot of a lot of data. But, like, these are... I guess my point is this is why they pay these people a lot of money to make these decisions because they're super important mm-hmm. and the path forward is not clear. Like, no, this no. Is whatever a you do, call. you have no idea what it's going to do. Like keeping yeah. the name, the iPhone 10 could result in fewer sales than a new model. You have no idea at that yeah. point. You can, you can take really educated guesses, but anytime you make a diff, a, a big change, you gamble with that, which is probably why they stuck on the numbering train for as long as they did. Because you make a gamble if you want to change it. So the other thing here is that we should keep these two things separate. Because the first gamble is in product roadmap, right? Mm -hmm. First gamble is we're going to do two phones in 2017. We're going to have this super high-end thing that we've been working on for years and that we thought would be in 2016 that didn't happen. But in 2017, we're going to get it. And we're still going to sell a continuation of the other line. And uh, that's what we're going to do for 2017. You're like, wow, okay. And then 2018, we've got even more phones that we're going to do in 2018. So that's, first off, that is uh, risky and uh, that's a gamble and that's why they get paid the big bucks. And then there's the marketing of it, which is what do you call them? And those are separate decisions, basically. So it's like, what do you call them? How do you price them? And those are hard decisions too. So this is not, I mean, I find it fascinating. Obviously, you and I find it fascinating (laughs) because we talk about it all the time. Because Because we are severely in the weeds. I said I was going to blow through this. (laughs) We haven't even gotten past the iPhone yet. What's great about it is... Um, there is no, as far as I can tell, you know, there is no right, clear, right answer here. No. You got to kind of close one eye and, you know, throw a dart, like take your go. best shot. 
take your best shot and see what happens. And Phil Schiller and his people have done that. And we will know in a couple of weeks what they chose. But it's fascinating to think about all their options and what a hard decision it is in a lot of ways. So more from the report. The Apple Watch is going edge to edge and will be compatible with existing straps. I'm excited about this idea because this is what I wanted to see, right? Some visual design, some hardware change to the Apple Watch's design. Um, I'm keen to see what that actually ends up resulting in, right? Is the screen bigger? What is it just bigger? Is it thinner? Is it thicker? What does it look like? So I'm pleased right. to see that they're going to finally make a change to yeah, the, the visual they? design of the Apple Watch. Yeah, but th- it will be different, right? Like, even if, if you just make the screen bigger, you can still keep the, 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 the overall design the same, but making the screen bigger, that is a consumer-focused design change, where all of the other okay. design changes have been for their benefit in making it thicker. But what I'm going to say is that it's a an invisible design change because if you're removing the black edges under the glass, the glass will still be the same. Right, so you get a user benefit out of it, is what there'll what, be more I mean. pixels on that screen. Sure, that's that's a, that is the lightest of hardware redesigns, but yes, yeah, yes, but, that's but it, a good thing, you know. But in the same time, we're about to talk about the iPad Pros, and we're all salivating for smaller bezels, right? So, like, it, there can be benefits to it. It feels like a strange thing with the Apple Watch because you say there, I don't think people are saying, "Oh, I really want a bigger screen," but at least it is a user focused design change, like which which I am interested to see i'm i'm keen to see if w- what else this could manifest in um but yeah compatible with existing straps is a big thing apple need to keep that on that train for for a long time i think i think that that is going to be something that when they do change will really upset a lot of people so they need to try and stay away from that as much as they possibly can i think um new ipad pros so two ipad pros one is around 11 inches and one is around 12.9 inches according to german and Wu. now this is interesting to me because what this says is you take the two current ipad pros on the smaller one it seems like they are keeping the physical size the same and expanding the screen size again right they did that the first time mostly the same size right the actual physical size but they made the screen bigger and now it seems like they're doing it again, making the screen bigger, but keeping the physical size probably around the same. And then with the larger iPad Pro, it seems like what they're doing is keeping the screen size the same, but making it physically smaller with their bezel right. reduction. It's a very interesting choice there. I think, for me, they are the two exact choices I want, but it's interesting that they went that way. Yeah, I I think it makes sense to me. They're trying to differentiate the iPad Pro from the other iPad. More productivity comes with more screen space. So pushing the smaller model up and then the 12.9 is like, all right, that's enough screen space. Let's get it smaller. Because the problem, as you and I both know, the problem with the iPad 12.9 is it's too big. It's too big. Like the screen is beautiful, but it's too big. Too big, it's too heavy. heavy. It's, it's unwieldy because mm-hmm. of the surface area of that screen. So get the bezels down. That's going to be great. That That's going to make that uh, that even greater. And if you think they sound close, well, that's the same, basically the same difference between the laptops, like 13 yeah. and 15, 11 and 13, right? It's, it's effectively the same. MacBook Air, there was an 11 and a 13. It, it, it's not that far off from that. Um, I wonder about the Face ID stuff only because I there is the... there's the trepidation. I feel like we got to give it to Apple that Apple's going to do the right thing here. But, you know, that means they need to get uh, orientation 
agnostic touch ID or face ID working. I'm convinced that they've solved it. They gotta have. Like, cause there's no way they're gonna say, please hold your iPad upright in order yep. to unlock it. Like, there's no way. That, that would be so bad. I believe that a second generation face ID with orientation agnosticism will come to mm. all of the line, all the products. So the, the two expensive yeah. iPhones will get it um, and the iPad Pros will get it. Um, it may be tied to the CPU, right? Like the A12, whatever. But like, I believe that they would not, it would be madness to ship this product. I will, I was going to say eat my hat. I don't have a hat and I don't want to eat it anyway. So <laughs> I would be extremely surprised uh, to see that because I feel like, you don't need to do that. You don't need Face ID in the iPad yet. You could do another revision with smaller bezels and a home button still. You could still find a way to do it. One of the defining characteristics of the iPad Pro is the keyboard. It's the first product that Apple has built on iOS that Apple built a keyboard for. And keyboards are fundamentally horizontal. So... I, this goes back to my complaints about the iPad in general. I know some sometimes people use iPads in portrait, I, uh, you know, vertical. I, I use them that way too, but I mostly use them in horizontal. And I think it's actually a little silly that the iPad is not fundamentally horizontal, that the Apple logo when you start it up, that the Apple mm-hmm. logo on the back are not horizontal, that they're vertical. Mm-hmm. I think that's the primary orientation of an iPad Pro because of, among other things, that keyboard. Um, and because of the way that multitasking is built, where it's all adding things on the sides. That is, I, you can multitask in, in, in vertical. It's not great. Um, so, of course, like, like they need to go the other direction. Like, they, they, need, they need Face ID to work both orientations for this thing, for sure. But, like, also, any idea that, like, portrait is dominant on the iPad Pro, I think it's a mistake. I think it's the wrong approach to that product. I'm sure you've seen the whole, like, potential concern and trepidation about where the smart keyboard's going to fit like it looks like the smart connectors may be moved maybe there's some, it looks like it's going to be portrait which i just don't buy any of that i um, i think there's still a smart connector on the side and i saw somebody i think maybe even marco arment suggests that i wonder if that other item that's down by the dock connector is something like a pencil attachment yeah maybe i don't think that that's right but yeah i i understand i don't know thinking I, but I, that that makes more sense to me than that's the smart keyboard connector yeah. in in a really weird place where every smart keyboard has to cover the entire back of the iPad for it to work. Unless, and here's the big unless, unless Apple blows us away by doing a full-on laptop-style shell to attach to the iPad Pro, mm-hmm. where you could like hold it, put it in your lap, and tilt it, and all of those things. Oh, mama, that's what I want. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be wonderful? We'll talk about that in a that minute. That would that would be a thing. The last thing, no new iPad Mini specifically called out. For those of you that think that there might be one, no, there will not be one. Yep. RIP. Today's show is brought to you by Eero, the company who built the Wi-Fi system that they, you want in your home because it's the one they wanted in their own. A fast, reliable connection in every room, even all the way out to the backyard. The new second-gen Eero includes a third 5 gigahertz radio, making it twice as fast as before. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero will blanket your entire home in fast, 
reliable Wi-Fi. It sits flat on any surface. You just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter and you're ready to connect your Eero either via Ethernet or wirelessly. And they also have the tiny Eero beacon. All you need to do is plug these into the wall and it will expand coverage into any room of your home so you don't have to move to a different part of the house to get the fastest internet speed you want. Having one router doesn't work anymore. Like light waves, Wi-Fi doesn't go through the walls that well. You wouldn't expect a light bulb in your living room to light your master bedroom, so why would you expect your Wi-Fi to do the same? With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. Jason, I know that you use Eero, and it expands your Wi-Fi connection out to everywhere in your home, and I just wanted to know what you thought about it. Yeah, even the uh, little smart light bulbs like on the periphery of the house now get the Wi-Fi that they need. And even my little smart irrigation controller that I have now in my backyard, it's uh, on the Wi-Fi and it's not a problem. So I used to have lots of dead spots even in my little house and uh, now I have none, none. And it was easy to set up. So yeah, I, I love it. And you don't have to wait weeks to get hold of your new Dream Wi-Fi setup. For free overnight shipping to the US or Canada, go to Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com, and at checkout, select Overnight Shipping, then enter Upgrade to make it free. That is Eero.com with the promo code Upgrade for free overnight shipping. Our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. Keyboard time. Keyboard time. All right. Oh, so boy. first off, we want to give a quick review of the Bridge Keyboard version 2. So you wrote a great review about this product on Six Colors. And the fine folk over at Bridge, they actually sent me one of these. Um, they didn't send me a review unit. They just kind of sent me it because they had heard about the problems I had with the first one. So right. after our special iPad episode, they got in touch and they said, we have a new version coming out. We'd like to send you it. So they sent me it. So I got it for free. But uh, I wanted to talk about my experience. And I know you have the same. Um, I think from Series 1, Series 1 had tons of problems. It had Bluetooth issues. It had connection issues. I couldn't get mine to work. Jason had multiple units. He finally got one to work. The Series 2 version that we both got categorically solve the problems it connects easily stays connected no drop keys this is the product that i always wanted it to be it has no issues like that right like it's it works perfectly yeah yeah it, it uh i mean i only got the one yep <laughs> the one works right out of the box mm-hmm. so i you know i'm gonna assume that they got their it, it is definitely a new keyboard it's the the mechanism's a little bit different the yep. light lighting like you've got the the lights like a little dot on the power key now that's going to give you the information about how much charge it's gotten is it on or is it off um but it is yeah it's it's everything that the first version should have been and the first version was all already one that it was my choice as my travel keyboard for my iPad but um this is, uh, it, it seems to address the issues with the first one, and that's really great. Here's something I did. I, I swear to you, it's exactly how it worked, right? I turned the thing on, connected with Bluetooth, put the uh, my iPad, my 12.9-inch iPad into the hinge, right? I put it in, so it was in there. I typed two keys before I reached for a trackpad. <laughs> I immediately reached for the trackpad that doesn't exist, right? Because it just became a laptop, as soon as I did it. And that is... You fooled yourself. I fooled myself. The great thing about this product, right, it is, it makes your iPad a laptop. And that's what I love about it, right? The keyboard feels great. feels kind of like a magic keyboard, right? Like it feels nicer to me than the butterfly switch keyboard. More travel, less noise. It's kind of what I'm looking for. The adjustable hinge is unbelievable. Like I am so sold on the idea of a laptop form factor for iOS because 
I can sit however I want. I sometimes, like I'll sit and it's on my lap and I'm just typing, or I can sit with my knees up, basically fold it completely flat, right? And just have it kind of laying on my legs and I can type if I want to. Like it is exactly what I am looking for. Um, I love the adjustable hinge as, you, as we were saying earlier, right? Like the idea of Apple making a product like this would be incredible too, right? Like mm, it boy. works just how I want. It turns my iPad into a laptop. Like, yes, it makes it significantly heavier, but my 12.9 inch iPad never leaves my home, right? Like it makes the, the, the iPad less portable, but I use my iPad like a lap. how people use their laptops, right? They have their laptop, right. they have it at home. That's what this does for my 12.9 inch iPad. But it's so easy to take off that it's never an issue. You can just pop it out, pop it on, pop it out. Like it's, yeah, it is really, really great. Yeah, unlike a lot of these keyboard cases where you have to sort of snap it in and mm-hmm. then it's completely kind of like it's in there because it's got to go all the way around it. This one doesn't do that. This one's just got the the hinge at the bottom with the clips, and and you you don't. I mean, you don't even pop the clips or anything like that. You literally just kind of stick it in and it goes in and then pull it out and so yes it makes it a three pound laptop but you pull the ipad out and it's not anymore yeah and you can't do that with your mac laptop and um i travel with it and it's the same thing i travel with it but i don't travel with a laptop and i can use it as a tablet or i can use it as a laptop and so that's that's why i do it so it does i have that thing where people give me the double take where they assume i'm using a mac and then i touch the screen and they're like what just happened um, I, I haven't fooled myself. Although I will say the bridge, bridge does make a keyboard for the Microsoft Surface that has a trackpad on it. And I, I thought to did. myself, yep. oh, oh man, like if Apple did, uh, you know, Bluetooth pointing device support at some point, even if it's just for text editing, I'm like, I would love that too. But it's all still, it's all still out there. Um, you know, who knows? I, I, I also speaking of the Surface, I saw a review today of the uh, little Surface Go. Mini or whatever Surface it is. Go. The, Surface Go, that's right. It's a little tiny one. It's adorable. I saw it when I went to the Microsoft store. It's adorable. It's it's uh, underpowered, but uh, but super cute and tiny. Um, but again, it was one of those things where it's got a kickstand. And the review I read it even had a photo of the legs of the guy who was using it. And he's got a big like line on his leg, on his skin, from where the the kickstand dug into it. And like this is the this is the truth of these things: is can you use that kickstand, can you use the setup with the smart keyboard on your lap? You can, but it's not very stable, and I don't like it. And I would by far prefer something else. Yeah, so. I really love this form factor. Like, I think that they totally nailed this product this time around. I'm really, really happy with it. I'm now using my iPad in it all the time, right? When it's not in, when I'm not sitting down for long periods of time to write something because I have it in that stand then, so like it's nice for me ergonomically, but when I, whenever I'm just like around the house, I'm surfing stuff, I'm just getting a little bit of work done or whatever, it's it's living like a laptop now and I really love it. My only question is is this an awkward time to release this product? Yeah. It seems like these products are going away in a, in a month or two, or, or right? The, or it's changing significantly. Like, I have no idea if this product's even going to fit anymore, right? It could be completely different sizes. Will the bezels mean that it won't fit in the hinge properly? Will the hinge cover or the bezels? The hinge will cover the screen, right? Yeah, it's, it, this is a really... I mean, Bridge, you really made a great product, but I don't know if this is the right time to have released it. 
and I it, it's it's great for the existing 12.9 inch iPad Pro market, and there are other people out there who are going to keep their iPad Pros for a while. I would cons- I would suggest that they look at this as a as a uh, an accessory for it. I'm still using my iPad Pro from December of 15, right? So um, they have a long life, and that's great. But uh, in terms of new hardware, like I sure hope that they whatever Apple releases that bridge will be able to use their tech assuming that apple doesn't like steal their lunch and make their <laughs> make own, their own yeah. keyboard um i hope bridge finds a way to make the ergonomics of the new ipads work with this tech because the next ipad pro i buy i'm gonna want something like this for it it's gonna actually be a major factor in my productivity. I'm going to be super sad when I buy a new iPad Pro and there's going to be presumably at least a bit of a gap before there's a bridge keyboard for it. But like, I want this functionality on my iPad Pro from now on. So I hope that all the effort that they've done in building this new version of it, which is only on the 12.9 right now, so that's interesting. I wonder if they just sort of are out of the old ones and they wanted to build this, but I hope they're like positioning themselves to do new versions of for the new iPads as well. But it is a question with the reduced bezels and all of that. I worry about the ergonomics of dropping something in to the clips versus having to snap something in on the back, which I hate. Like, I don't want to snap a special case on my iPad so that I can use it with a keyboard. That's not what I want. And um, that, that could be a downside of the new bezel-less iPad Pro design. Should we talk about as part of the summer of fun our favorite keyboards of all time. Let, let's do it. Let's. This may be the, it for the summer of fun, but we got to go out with something wacky because otherwise it wouldn't be fun. Exactly. So this so, actually yeah. came from an Ask Upgrade question from from Upgrading and Jeff, and I thought, oh. what a fun thing to do to cut to 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 match up with our keyboard review here. So do you want to go one each? You start. Yeah. Sure. Um, the MacBook Air. I love the MacBook Air, and it's on the older MacBook Pros too. But that MacBook Air keyboard. You know, yes, all my time with mechanical keyboards, it does uh, it does feel a little bit a little bit mushy, a little bit. But you know, the fact is, I have written I don't even know how many hundreds of thousands of words, maybe millions, maybe in the millions on that keyboard, probably on the in the millions on that keyboard. I love it. Um, it has always worked for me. It's always been reliable. I've never had a keyboard failure on a MacBook Air in all the years. So MacBook Air, I, I think I have to pick number one. I will pick my number one as the keyboard that I'm sitting right in front of, which is the Microsoft Sculpt Ergonomic Keyboard. Uh, the previous version, not the one with the Alcantara on it, you know, like that they sell now. Um, oh, yeah. So I will include a link to the review of the man who told me to buy this, which was Marco Arment. Uh, I was having some problems with RSI. He said, buy this keyboard. And this keyboard made me feel a lot better. Like, it works great. It's nice and clicky. It does what I need for when I'm sitting in front of it. But more than anything, like it is a keyboard which helps me over long periods of time to keep my hands healthy. So I really like this keyboard. It does a great job for me whilst also being a super weird thing to sit on your desk. I also love how weird it looks, right? Like it's just a strange, strange keyboard and I really like it. So um, my wife used to use the a Microsoft ergonomic keyboard, although now she just uses uh, the MacBook Air. So I guess she went from one of our picks to the other one. Um, I can't use split keyboards because of the way I type. I can't do it. But uh, I know people love the Microsoft keyboards. Um, For my second pick, I'm going to pick, and this is cheating, but I'm just going to do it because 
I don't care. I, I'm going to cheat. You make I, the rules been, around him. Yeah, exactly right, which is anything with cherry brown switches. So I got into mechanical keyboards a few years ago. I bought the little clicky keyboard tester, which John tells a story on uh, on the talk show this weekend about how he got an email from the guy at WASD Keyboards, um, that like the person who runs it, <laughs> saying, we sold out. We usually sell a couple of uh, keyboard testers, these little like six switches it's not like not it's just like a gadget that don't you don't plug in or anything you just can feel and hear what the different kinds of switches sound like and we talked about it the last time i was on the talk show and they like sold out of them <laughs> they're like what 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 happened and the answer was sorry <laughs> we talked we talked about them on the talk show um but what i learned from that cuz i had bought uh, just making a guess based on like internet like sound files and movies and stuff uh a cherry blue switch keyboard which was fun but um, the brown switches are actually the ones that I prefer. And I've got a bunch now. I've got like three different keyboards with the cherry brown switches. I love them. That's the keyboard for me. And so I was going to pick like my weird, I have I have my weird um, keyboard that is, God, what's it even? I can't even remember. Leopold keyboard, which is uh, has a very unusual key layout. I have a Vortex keyboard that I'm using now. Um, so I, I would say anything with cherry brown switches and ideally, you know, no number pad and ideally not even the page up, page down home area, but it has to have arrow keys. So I've created, so the Vortex and the Leopold are both that. So those two keyboards, but cherry brown switches for sure. Okay. Um, I'm going to go way off the reserve here and pick the uh, Razer Sinosa Chroma gaming keyboard. I absolutely adore my gaming keyboard for my PC. It feels so good. It is a mechanical keyboard. Um, it feels great. I love the way it feels. But I love the lights. The lights are ridiculous. They look so stupid, and I absolutely adore it. There are so many things you can make it do. You can make it like light up when you press a key, and then it ripples out from that key. You can have the lights on constantly and changing into mm. all different colors. When we stream... Uh, on the Twitch stream that me and Tiff do. Uh, if somebody gives us money, my keyboard lights up in specific colors. Like, I love this keyboard so much. It feels great to use and it's so ridiculous. And it, whenever anybody visits my house and they marvel at my gaming PC, I immediately turn it on and show them all the things the keyboard can do. And everyone is like really impressed by it. They love it, even though they feel like they shouldn't. And that's why I love this keyboard is even all of my friends, all of my Apple nerd friends who love things to be very specific, the, you would think on the face of it, that this go flies in the face of everything that you like as an Apple user. But when you see these keyboards and you see how fun they are, you're kind of like, oh man, none of my stuff does that. And that's why I love this keyboard. Yeah, that's that's cool. I have looked, um, backlighting is not something I really need, although some of my keyboards have it and some of them don't. But the color, individually programmable backlighting is hilarious. So, good for you. Um... My last pick is going to be what I have just looked up as it is the Palm 1 portable keyboard for the Palm 3 and 7 and M100. Uh, if you remember the days of um, personal digital assistants or PDAs, this was a foldable keyboard. And I took a trip in 2000 to the UK for two weeks and wrote a trip diary. And I did it all with a Palm 3 with a couple AA batteries or AAA batteries in the back 
and this keyboard, which is a full-size keyboard with pretty decent key uh, travel, actually. But it folded up in a couple of places, and you could fold it up into a little tiny thing that was kind of a little bigger than a wallet, but it it snapped closed. And so it was super light and super small. And so I could travel with this tiny device, smaller than an iPhone by, by a lot, actually, and this keyboard, and write while I traveled. And I think about that, like today the equivalent would be to travel with an iPhone and like maybe one of those kind of roll-up Bluetooth keyboards. They also have foldable Bluetooth keyboards. Um, and it would be something like that. That would be the equivalent of this. But uh, it was, I love that thing. It was really awesome. And if I had use, if I, if I ever was traveling where I absolutely had to minimize the amount of space that I was traveling and packing in, I would probably go on Amazon and, and find the closest analog I could to the Palm One keyboard. And my last pick will be the smart keyboard for the iPad Pro because the smart keyboard was what sold me on being hmm. all in on the iPad. It's so good. It is. Yep. I mean, we, we, we're not joking when we say this. A bunch of us, I, I think Marco may say this too, but um, I like it better than the keyboard on the laptop. It is way better. I mean, just it is a way better <laughs> keyboard. It feels so much nicer. The material covering is just feels nice to use. It has it's a good really clickiness. Nice. And a good 10.5 size is good. Not you don't even need. I mean, I was worried that the 12.9 was going to be the only one with like good typing, and the and the uh, original 9.7 iPad Pro it was not bad. Like I was impressed. On the 10.5, it's great. Like that is that is you you're not sacrificing typing ability by getting the smaller iPad Pro at this point, and it, it is it, it is great. really good. But it was just that that keyboard sold me on the whole package, right? The idea of the iPad as the device that I use it for now. It it was that keyboard. Um, and I, I love it. I think it's a fantastic keyboard. It, it does a great, great job for pretty much every use. Like, it really is fantastic. So that's our favorite keyboards. That is maybe the final Summer of Fun segment. Maybe the penultimate Summer, summer of Fun segment. Fun. You'll know next week, I guess. Um, I do want to wrap up with two very quick hashtag ask upgrade questions because we don't want to do no ask upgrades today so the first one comes from brian brian says similar to how youtube premium is a ten dollar a month service that makes youtube a little bit better what other free web service do you wish you could pay ten dollars a month to to make a little bit better you want to say it on three one two three twitter Twitter. uh i want (laughs) twitter to give third-party developers access to everything and i will pay them ten dollars a month to do it if I could pay them $10 a month and it means they clean up their platform, even better. So Twitter, this is us telling you, we will give you our $10 a month. Just make the service a little bit better. And the second question, last question today comes from Nick. The new Disney streaming service, do you think it will launch internationally immediately? Or do you think some of the stuff may be picked up outside of the US by services like Netflix, as Star Trek Discovery was? Uh, I think they're going to roll it out. My gut feeling, and I don't know if they've even talked about it, is the goal of this service is for it to be international. Um, they may roll it out first in the U.S., but what I I doubt severely that they will sell off any of the content in, in other markets um, because I think they want to be everywhere. So I would be, because once they sell them off, they're going to, you know, you lose them in those markets for some period of time, yep. if not forever. And I don't think they want to do that. I, I, I think they want to launch. It's possible they might sell them off to markets that they're not interested in or they don't think they'll be in soon. Um, but uh, I have a hard time, unless somebody can find a, a statement by Bob Iger saying something different, like I imagine they will be um, 
trying to launch, you know, even if they launch in the U.S., they're going to want to be U.S., Canada, U.K. at the very least. Um, you know, really all the English language countries first off, and it would surprise me if they don't push into Europe and Asia fairly quickly thereafter. And so why not just keep it all, keep the demand up? Because, you know, new Star Wars TV show, um, if you don't launch directly in Japan, you still get to launch when you do go to Japan with that Star Wars TV show. And it's not something that's been on on uh, Amazon or Netflix for the last two years. I, I usually like the reason that there there are uh, mixed releases internationally of these services is rights issues, right? Like that seems to be the biggest problem. And I feel like Disney's own streaming service for Disney's own content is the one that is least likely That's to right. have rights issues. Yeah, they, I think they they've been planning the this for a while too, yeah. right? So I think a lot of the contracts are expiring and it might not all be there on day one in all markets, but I think that that's the idea is that they're taking this all inside. Like they're making content for their own services. That's their strategy. It's been their strategy for a while now. It's all co- starting to come to fruition. Um, so yeah, I would imagine that they're going to be aggressive about rolling it out worldwide. Thank you so much to our hashtag Ask Up questioners. We have met, we have so I have such a big backlog. I promise we're going to get to them. If you want to send in a question to close the show, the hashtag Ask Upgrade is the way that you do that. If you want to find uh, information and links for this week's episode, you can check in your podcast player of choice or go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 208. We are still in Relay FM membership time. There are still many fantastic member specials being posted. For example, if you want to hear what it sounds like for me and Brad to build a Lego set for that takes three and a half hours because Brad has the instructions and I have the pieces. You can do that by being a Relay <laughs> FM member. You can uh, subscribe by going to relay.fm slash membership and you can find out more there. Or you can hit the, the link in the show notes for in this episode and you can give upgrades some money every month, but you'll get access to absolutely everything. Or you can go to our membership page and you can take a look and maybe choose a different membership level you want to give. Whatever you give, thank you so much. And thank you so much if you signed up. You can also listen to me and Dan Morin and Stephen Hackett and Micah Sargent talk about uh, Apple software that should have been or was uh discontinued and that is in a crossover of... episode called downwise or is it clock yeah, or is it clock load it is, who knows this episode is worth yeah, listening to just for the madcap introduction which i was nearly dying in laughter <laughs> over uh, go to sixcolors.com for jason's work he's at the incomparable.com as well at jason l on twitter j-s-n-e-l-l i am at imike i-m-y-k-e thanks to smile inboard technology and Eero for the support of this show you can go to relay.fm slash shows to find this show and many more I'm sure there'll be something there that you'll love to listen to. We'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, everybody. 